If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. I said 1 Timothy, didn't I? 2 Timothy 3. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4. You know what? I'm just going to start reading. That's what we're going to do. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. The message is a healthy church preaches God's word. Before we get into the idea of preaching God's word and the actual activity of preaching God's word, we need to pray. So why don't you join me in prayer? Father, we trust you. We trust that your spirit will lead and guide. We don't even know what to pray for. And I don't know what to say without you. So pray that you would take over, that your spirit would lead and guide not only me and my words, but everyone's thoughts and actions and hearts that you would create an opening for your truth and you would plant deep in our souls and in our minds the significance and importance of not just your word, but that it is preached. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a healthy church preaches God's word, and I think we would all agree with that. If I stood up here and started preaching from the Quran, you would probably not come back, because I assume you're here to hear, you are here so that you can hear God's word. And if I started preaching something else, you'd be like, this is not the kind of church I thought it was, and I'm here for God's word, and you probably wouldn't come back. So, to be honest, this could be a really short sermon. I could just say, a healthy church preaches God's word, and you all say, yeah, amen, and then we leave, and we go home. And we all agree, the importance and significance of God's word. But my aim today is not just to confirm with you that God's word is important, but rather my aim is to show you from God's word just how important it is for a church's health that God's word is the leader in the church. So do you hear that statement? That's a significant statement. God's word is the leader in our church. I'm not the senior pastor. Like sometimes when I introduce myself to people or I have to explain, I got a conversation with this person this week and I was explaining to them who Christian is, that he's a pastor and an intern at our church and they're like, well, then what are you? And I'm like, I'm the, I guess, I guess you'd call me the senior pastor. I don't like that title. First of all, I just, I don't, I don't think it's suitable because when I think about who's the senior pastor, who leads the church? It's not me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the senior pastor. I'm a pastor. Christian's a pastor. Brian is an elder. That makes him a pastor. All elders are shepherds. So we are all, all the elders and pastors at your church are under shepherds to the senior shepherd, to the senior pastor, Jesus. So he's the head shepherd. So it's Christ who we follow. Right? And if it's Christ we follow, how do we follow him if he's physically not here? Because I'm here. I'm standing in front of you. I preach to you. I cast a vision for you. We're going to have a meeting after church. We're going to talk about logistics and numbers and budget. And you're going to listen to me and you're going to see me. And we're going to do things together. We work together. I'm physically present with you. And God has ordained it that way so that you have an expression of his shepherding in your presence. But how do we follow Christ if he's not physically here? We follow his word. That's how we follow him, by following his word. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. What are we following? His voice. So how do we hear Jesus's voice today? We hear his voice in the Bible. We hear his voice in his word. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God now speaks to us the voice of Christ. His voice is now the voice of his son. So where do we get the voice of his son? 
John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is the voice of the Son. So this book, this book is our senior pastor. This book is our leader. Meaning Jesus is the Word, and the Word, this book, is the literary expression of the person of Christ. And so the responsibility of me and Christian and Brian, our responsibility for you and to you and to God is to lead you to be the physical manifestation of the shepherd Christ for you in your presence by which we lead you not for our own sake, not under compulsion, not because we have to, but because we want to. And what we use to lead you is this. This is the priority. And this, that reality, is why it is massively and significantly and most important that churches preach God's word. Now, I know you might be thinking, you know, Mark, I, I, I don't... I don't really know any churches that don't preach God's word. I mean, doesn't every church preach God's word? Aren't, isn't everyone preaching God's word? I mean, and as long as they call themselves a Christian church, you know, whether it's Lutheran or Methodist or even Catholic or whatever denomination, Baptist, E-free, whatever, isn't everyone just preaching the Bible? Isn't that what they're doing on Sunday mornings? I mean, I, I go to those other, I've been to those churches. I've been to a Lutheran church or a Methodist church or a Catholic church or whatever. And they use the Bible too. They say things from the Bible too. Aren't they preaching God's word? Well, I can't speak for every church. But I can tell you that I know of a lot of churches that would tell you we preach God's word, but they don't. And I want to explain that a little bit because I want you to understand how important it is that when I say Preaching God's word, I'm not just talking about reading verses from the Bible on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about preaching the truth. Because you can use God's word to make it say whatever you want. And that could be a non-truth. So it's not just about using the Bible on Sunday morning. This is about preaching the truth that comes from God's word. And there's nothing more important than listening to God. And God instructs us from his word. This Bible, this book you have in your hands, or whether it's an app on your phone or a physical book in your hands, this word is the most important thing in your life. There is nothing more valuable. I've, I've thought this thought so many times in my mind. If my house were burning down or if this church were burning down and I could grab one possession from my house other than obviously like the humans in the building, right? The, my family or my loved ones or, or you. Um, if there's one non-human object that I would take from a burning building, it would be my Bible. And I, you know, it seems kind of ridiculous because my Bible could burn up and turn to ash and I could go to the store and buy a new one. Big whoop, right? Do you know how many notes are in this Bible? Like I've got so many, like, Half of my preaching is dependent on the notes I've written in this specific book. I even tried one, uh, about two years ago, I have this beautiful, calf, genuine calfskin leather Bible that is identical to this very Bible. This is, I've had this Bible since, let me look, 2005, August 17th, 2005, presented to Mark Barlow by Holly Allard, that's my wife's maiden name. She bought this for me. It cost 100 bucks. This is how she got me to marry her. <laughs> and she wrote, on 8-17-05, you're going to be a great pastor. Still working on that. But the reality, <laughs> I was not a pastor when she bought this for me. And I've had this book for how many years? 16 years? Okay, and I've been using it for 16 years. So a couple years ago, I had this you know, genuine calfskin leather Bible. You should feel the surface of this calfskin leather Bible. It's unlike anything you've ever felt on a Bible before. It's, it's so beautiful. And when you, know, you crack these new pages and they just crinkle because they're brand new and you ever smell a new book, oh, such a good smell. And I tried to preach from that Bible several times, but it kept closing on me because I haven't used it enough. 
and I was like, you know what, enough of this new Bible stuff. I'm going back to my old Bible. This one is completely detached at the binding, and I hear you can get these things rebound, and I'm like, you know what, it just, it is what it is. I'm going to use it till it dies, like a vehicle that you just drive into the ground. I'm just going to keep, this, this specific Bible is so valuable to me. But it's not just this paper. It's not just this genuine, authentic leather Bible that my wife bought me. It has more value than, oh, the woman that I love bought it for me 16 years ago. You know what? This Bible disappears one day or gets lost in a fire. I still have my wife. <laughs> and it's okay. And I still have truth. The truth still remains. And so this book is so valuable. It should be the most valuable thing in your life. And so I think about that. I'm like, if there's anything I would pick up and take with me, it would be God's word. Not because the ink on the specific ink that is printed on this specific Bible is so valuable, because I could go buy a new one, but because there are truth in this book that I have learned and written into these pages myself to glean from the reality of who God is and what he's like. And I don't ever want to lose that. Because the voice of God is the authority in your life. It is the most important thing that exists. Listening to God and following his commands and his directions and his instructions or being encouraged by his word or challenged by him or rebuked or reproved or corrected. There's nothing more important. I sometimes talk to my kids and I explain to them, my voice, your dad's voice, is the most important thing in your life. There's no more important voice that exists in this world than mine. So when my kids will sometimes say, well, I didn't hear you. And I go, that, that's your problem. <laughs> you need to hear me. When I speak, you need to hear me. And fine, you know, practically speaking, I should make sure you can hear me. Okay? Be understanding to my kids. A little more understanding to my kids. But the reality is, to them, my voice should be the voice they hear through the crowd. Okay? Through everything else. My voice is their authority. God has made me the authority over my children, and when I speak, they're commanded to listen. Not because I say so, because God's word says so. And so to my children, I'm kind of like the, I'm the example or the image of who God is to his children. I get to play that role for my kids to show them who God is, what a father is to be like. Now, we, as, if you're a dad, you know that's a lot easier said than done. And we all, all of us are imperfect at being a great example of the father. But we try. But the reality is our children still need to consider our voice as their authority and their ultimate, uh, their, their ultimate joy to listen to. So my voice my command, my direction, my encouragements to my children, my rebukes to my children is to their benefit. It's in their best interest. It is for their good. If my child is running full speed towards the road because a ball went into the road and he's running after it and he's going to get that ball and I see coming down the road is a giant semi-truck barreling 50 miles an hour and what I see for my child is danger and I yell, stop! They should stop. My voice should be so impactful in their life that they will stop in their tracks and turn around and go, my father's speaking to me. He has shouted out a command. I will listen immediately. And this is why when my, on a, on a parenting level, this is why when kids, if your children don't listen to you, and I, guys, parenting is hard. I know, I get it, all right? And, and children are their own people and they've got their own desires and passions and they've got their own will to either obey you or not obey you. But the reality is when I talk to my kids and I want them to obey me, it's not just I want you to obey me. When I tell you to take off the trash, I just want you to do it just because. It's not just because. It's because you're practicing. I'm, I'm giving you the discipline of obedience so that when I say take out the trash and you go, yes, dad, and you take out the trash, you're learning obedience so that when your life is on the line and you're running into that street and I yell stop, you have practiced disobedience and now you stop and your life is saved which is why Paul says to Timothy if you preach the word you will save your life and the life of your people because they will learn to obey the father and if they can learn to obey the father in the little things they will hear me when their life is on the line so this is 
the ultimate authority in everything we do. God's word is the reason we have a vision. His vision, our vision, Grace Church, our mission is God's glory, our joy. That is a foundational reality that will exist forever for all the churches in the world, for all of God's people. But specifically, that's our desire and our mission, for God to be glorified and for you to be satisfied in him. But our vision right now as a church is discipling each generation. And we're doing that through various ways, through our new children's church ministry, through our life groups that we're going to be starting, and through our kid town ministry. So every generation is going to receive the word of God. Every generation is going to get discipleship in smaller groups and larger groups and in individual forms. That's the whole goal. That's our vision. Why do we have that vision? Because God's word tells us that's important. So when we create a vision for this church, we create it from God's word. When I preach, I preach God's word. When I shepherd you, when I counsel you, I'm counseling you from God's word. When I encourage you, it's from God's word. When we encourage each other, it should be from God's word. God's word is it. It's all. It's the final authority. It's our direction. It is our vision. It is our motivation. It is our encouragement. It is our corrector. It has to be the highest thing in the world to the Christian church. It has to be everything. When people come to me and say, or if I'm having, say, a doctrinal conversation with someone, and they make a, what they think is a biblical point, this is my move. This is, I do this all the time, and, the, and I talk about this all the time. I go, show me. Show me in this book. Because what you just said makes sense to me in some ways, but unless it says it here, it's not true. So when we think about where are we going as a church, what's our vision, what's our direction, why should we do life groups, should we do a kids ministry, why, why, why do we do what we do? Should we have members accepted into church, is that biblical, what are we doing, why are we doing it, should we pray, what does a healthy church look like, let's have a series on what a healthy church is, why are we doing these things, because God's word tells us these things, and it is going to direct us. So your leadership here at this church our, ide our ideal church is a church that fully submits to God's word. And our desire as elders is to fully submit to God's word. Now, are we going to be perfect at that? No. I mean, I think, I'll just be honest with you, I think my theology is perfect. <laughs> and I'm fully aware that I am not a perfect man. So if, if you ask me any theological question, I'd say, well, here's my opinion on what the Bible says about that doctrine. And I would believe I'm right. So there's nothing that I would say that I don't believe I'm right about. And the, more I, the older I get, and the, you know how it goes, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, right? So the older I get, and the more I learn about God from his word, the more I realize there's a lot of things I don't know, and I can't wait to get to heaven. And God goes, let's talk about the things you were wrong about. <laughs> I, can't, I Honestly, I, I think, because I don't think there'll be any shame in that moment. I think it will be a joyful moment where I'm like, oh, I was so wrong about that. I'm so grateful to know the truth, Lord. Let's celebrate that, because he's going to make my attitude perfect. So it's going to be a wonderful experience. So the reality is, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're not going to be perfect, but we do have to trust in God's word. We do, therefore, have to preach God's word. So preaching God's word is important. If God's word is the ultimate and final authority in everything we do in life, not, not just church. This is not just the authority for church. This is the authority for your parenting. This is the authority for your marriage. This is the authority for how you operate and do your job at work. This is your authority for how you relate to other people. This is your authority for how you play sports, for your attitude. This is the authority for sin and righteousness. This is the authority for everything in life is God's word. If that's true, then how important is it that when you decide to come to church on Sunday because you listened to my sermon last week... You guys remember that? How important it is to be at church? Well, imagine if you came to church and I didn't preach the word. You'd be like, why am I coming to church anyways? To hear some dude tell me what he thinks about the world? I can get that on YouTube anytime. 
There's a million people out there sharing their ideas about how the world is. You could just go listen to any TED talk that exists and listen to what somebody says about the way the world should be and their perception of it. And their voices have zero authority in your life. Because this is the authority. So, what I do up here every Sunday, and what Christian will do the next two weeks at this pulpit, is vitally important to your life, and to your spiritual health, and to the health of this church, and to your eternity. Again, this is a matter of life and death. Because if you come here to hear the word of God preach, and I don't preach God's word, I am verifying your eternal damnation. Even if you're saved, I am to stand at this pulpit and not preach God's word is my way of saying, I'm okay with you going to hell. Even if you're going to heaven, it's still me confirming, I'm okay with you going to hell. Because I choose not to preach the truth to you. So this moment that we go through every Sunday morning is vitally important to a healthy church. And like I said, I'm going to get them some things wrong. Christian's going to get some things wrong. We're imperfect men, but we are, no matter what, at the end of the day, even if we get pieces wrong in sermons or we preach something, maybe that's not perfect, okay, we still stand on the authority of God's word and trust it. And so it's so important that Paul writes to this young pastor named Timothy. And this is what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. He says, I charge you, Timothy, I charge you, that's a command, I'm commanding you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the command. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, if you look at this text, Paul's doing something unique here. He says, I charge you. That is a strange way to start a sentence because essentially what Paul is saying, it typically when Paul gives a command, he just gives the command. He's like, do this or don't do this. But now what he's saying is, I command you, do this. It's kind of strange because if I, like the example I used earlier, if I say to my, one of my children, hey, take the trash out. Child, take the trash out. And they say, okay, and they take the trash out. They understood, I was giving them a command and they obey the command. But if I say, child, I command thee, take out the trash, they'd be like, that was weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently I'm being commanded, probably a big deal, I guess I should take the trash out. Like, it adds a level of significance to the command. It clarifies for the hearer that this is not just I'm telling you what to do, but just so, you're cl just so you understand, this is a command. And to add even more emphasis to this command, Paul also says, not only do I charge you, not only am I commanding you to preach the word, but I am commanding you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So Paul does some name dropping, and the names that he drops are the most powerful and significant names in the universe, which is God the Father and the Son, Jesus. So you ever hear, some, you ever hear people say, like, put that on something. You know what I'm talking about? Like if somebody says something and and then they'll say, I put that on my mama. You guys, <laughs> did you guys have any idea what I'm talking about? No? Am I speaking to, is this foreign language to you? Okay, so like, you put that on something, or I put it on my mom's grave. I've heard that before. Like, if I'm going to say this, it's a, it's a statement of significance. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's putting it on something. And the something that he's putting it on is the appearing of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Right? So that's what he says here. He goes, I charge you, so I command you, so already emphasis, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So not only am I commanding you, but the command is coming directly from God and from Christ. And who is Christ? He is the one who judges the living and the dead. Just in case there's any question or confusion about the authority that is coming for this command. And in addition to that, he, he is putting it on something of value. The, 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 the thing that Paul is putting at stake here 
is the return of Jesus and the value of his kingdom, which is Jesus' promise and his, and his inheritance is the kingdom. So there is like every possible way you could show that this command is vitally important, that Timothy preached the word, Paul has given it every validation, every form of importance. Not only am I commanding you, I'm going to tell you that I'm commanding you. And I'm going to command you in the name of the Lord, not just the Lord, but the Father and the Son. And just in case there's any question about that authority, he is the one who judges the living and the dead. So this is very important. And just in case you think I'm kidding, I'm going to put it on the kingdom and I'm going to put it on his return. There is nothing that should excuse Timothy from preaching the word. This is one of the most significant commands in the entire Bible. There is no other command in the I shouldn't say that. There is no other command in the Bible that I know about <laughs> that is so overly validated. So when I read this, and I know that the letter from Paul to Timothy is a letter from Paul to a pastor that is in this, these letters to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. They're letters to a pastor on how the church should function and the instructions and directions for the organization and the operation of the church and for how a pastor should shepherd and specifically in this text, what a pastor should do, which is preach the word. So if there's anything that I do for you, it's this. It's preaching the word. There's nothing more important I can do to your life than to preach the word to you. And if there's anything I had to give up this would be the only thing I keep. I'd give up everything else in ministry to keep this, this role, to preach the word of God to you. So what that means for you on a personal level, let me just make this somewhat practical for you. If this Bible, if this word is not the most significant and valuable authority in your life for everything you do, then you are missing the boat. You are, you are losing, you're losing opportunities to know who God is, to learn how to live life in a way that honors him. You're never going to love your wife the way you should if you don't know the word. You could say, well, I don't need the word to love my wife. You need the word to love your wife like Christ loves the church, which is how you're supposed to love your wife. You need the word of God. To have the right attitude when you're playing games or playing a sport, shooting hoops, playing golf, whatever. You need the word of God to direct you on how to respond to difficult situations in life. There is nothing more important than this book. So there's nothing more important I can do for you than to teach it to you and to preach it to you. I've heard tons of sermons where preachers tell great stories and elaborate explanations for these really wonderful ideas. But they never address or explain it from the word. And I'm going, you know what? I get your point. I hear your story. I get the moral of your story. And to be honest, the moral of your story is somewhat biblical. It has a biblical ideology behind it. And I hear your explanation about this new idea you've got. And I, and I can see how you could say that's biblical. But you haven't preached the text to me. I want to hear the text God is very specific. He wrote very specific words. He took those words and he preserved those words for thousands of years and then validated the preservation of those words by giving us more documents that say the exact same thing. What I'm talking about are manuscripts, these pieces of paper, these copies of ancient texts that is the Bible that you could have argued 60, 70 years ago, oh, do we really have a valid copy of the Bible? Do we really know this is what really was written 4,000 years ago, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls showed up, and we were like, yeah, we do. We have total validation that this is the Word of God, and that there is no error in it, that it is infallible and right, that it is the final authority for your life, that it tells you how to operate, how to live, how to love, how to give, how to serve, how to do what you do as a Christian, how to be like Christ, how to pray. How to be a deacon, how to be an elder, how to be a pastor, how to be a son, how to be a father, how to be a mother. 
tells you all these things. When people tell me that the Bible is just boring, I'm like, oh my goodness, have you read this thing? It is a culmination of every great movie ever made wrapped up into one book. You can take all the top grossing movies of all time and you can keep the vulgarity because that's in here too. There's cussing in the Bible. There's inappropriate concepts in the Bible because it's real. It's recorded history. There are verses in the Bible I will not tell my kids about yet. There are things in here that I'm like, I don't, I will, I don't think I could ever preach that text and say those words from the pulpit and keep my job. Like there, there is, this is a real crazy book. It is historical, it's poetic. There's narratives in it, there's instructions, there's clarity, there's love, there's drama, there's murder, there's war. There's, it, it's, it's, it's all those great movies wrapped into one times infinity of greatness. When people tell me the Bible's boring, I'm like, then you're going to a church that is preaching the Bible boring. Because the Bible itself is never boring. It is always relative to any culture at all times because God is the director and creator of all cultures and causes all cultures to be what they are throughout all of human history and assures that his word is relative to every culture. Which is why Paul says, preach it, be ready in season and out of season. Because irrelevant to whether the Bible is popular or unpopular in a certain culture at a certain time, it is always relevant. So preach it. Whether it's popular or unpopular. That's what Paul means when he says in season or out of season. Whether it's popular or unpopular, preach it. Because it's always relative and it always works. And that's what he says in Isaiah 55, 11. My word will accomplish what I set it out to accomplish. It will not return to me empty. That, is, that statement, Isaiah 55, 11, has nothing to do with culture. has nothing to do with the times. It is regardless of time, regardless of generation, regardless of circumstance, regardless of the culture, regardless of how much God is accepted in the culture, regardless of how much God is rejected in the culture, when his word goes out of the mouth of his preachers, and it is this word, it will work. That is my confidence. Every time I pray in my office on a Sunday morning, I go, you know what, God? If I stand up there and I get confused and I don't know what to say, I can just say what it says and you're going to work. So even those, preachy, those preachers or those sermons that you think, man, that's really boring and lame, even if, even if it is boring, even if you think the preacher's boring or you don't like his sermon, as long as he is saying this, it will work. So style is not the most important thing. Style is not the most, we, we, there's two words that you might, I, I could teach you right now. You don't really have to know. One is called hermeneutics. The other is called homiletics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. My job and Christian's job, before we preach a sermon for you, is to sit down, look at the text, study the text, understand the text in its context, understand the language, who's speaking, who are they speaking to, what is the point, what is the message, what is the meaning, what significant words are here, what questions are answered, what questions are unanswered, how do I preach and teach this text, what is the meaning and how do I communicate it to the people. That's, the her that's hermeneutics, that's us taking this text, understanding what it means and creating out of it a lesson to teach you. Then there's homiletics. Homiletics is the style, the delivery, right? How the preacher presents the hermeneutic is the homiletic. So if we give you every Sunday hermeneutics and homiletics, you don't have to remember those words, all right? If you do, I'll be impressed. But that is, that the homiletics are not nearly as important as the hermeneutics. You want to know why? Because there are thousands of gigantic churches with thousands of people in them in America where the preacher has unbelievable homiletics. Way better preachers than me. Way better orators. Way better delivery. Way better speech. Way better stories. Way better illustrations. And they're missing the hermeneutics. They're missing the text. They've got great stories but they're not teaching the words in the Bible. That is not faithful preaching. 
And you could justify it and say, okay, yeah, well, he might not be preaching every word, which is what we try to do here, go verse by verse by verse through the Bible. Might not be preaching every word, but they're still preaching through stories, ideas that are from the Bible. That's good, right? Well, it's not terrible, and it can be effective in its own way. Jesus himself told parables, stories to teach, and that's okay. But instead of making up our own parables, how about we preach the ones Jesus said? That's what we should be doing. If we want to tell a story, tell the Bible's stories. And then as you tell the stories, you preach the text. So my point is that it's not necessarily sin or evil if a preacher is preaching, say, stories or ideas or topics that, that are biblical in nature, but he's not preaching the text you can say, well, that's okay, and Sunday, one Sunday, that's not a big deal. But over time, what you're feeding your people is granules of goodness instead of one hearty meal. It's like the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house in the sand. Topical preaching or, you know, uh, or, or uh, preaching that, that is just stories that's not going through the Bible verse by verse, which we call expositional preaching, it, that topical way of preaching where you're just telling stories or just giving biblical ideas and just being kind of faint and loose with the word and not addressing the text itself, those kinds of sermons. You can build your house with, under, on that kind of foundation, but that's just a bunch of granules of sand because you take this verse and you take that verse and you take this verse and that verse and this verse and that verse and this verse and that verse and you bring them together and you try to make each one of those verses say what you want to say. What's my topic? Um, let's say marriage. All right, I'll grab this verse on marriage and that verse on marriage and this verse on marriage and I'm going to build a theology of marriage with sand, with a bunch of granules that are a bunch of different verses that I've ripped from their original context and now you have to build a house on that weak teaching that isn't God's words. Because the reason it's not God's words is because all those verses lose their meaning when they're ripped out of their context. And then when the storms of real life come, what happens to that foundation that that doctrine and theology and that life is built on? Sweeps away. And that is why we preach here expositional. Now I realize I'm saying this in the middle of a series that is topical. But we did this on purpose because I believe, and this is, honestly, we're never doing this again. We're maybe never, I should say maybe, I, should say, I shouldn't say never, I don't know. We're probably never going to do this long of a topical series again. It's the first time I've ever done it and might be the last. But I really believe that we need this as a church. We need this sermon series that is topical on what a healthy church is. Just based on my prayers and how God is leading us and what just, I won't get into all the details. I believe that this is needed now. But after this, when this is over, at the end of August, we're going to jump into Colossians. And we're going to go verse by verse, just like we did through 1 Corinthians. Verse by verse by verse. And we're going to understand Colossians in its context. So that when you're done, you don't have a bunch of granules of sand. You've got one huge foundational cornerstone. I already gave you one cornerstone. 1 Corinthians. Right? We got this one big rock that we were building a, a life on. And it was 1 Corinthians. And that, now we're going to give you another big, solid foundational piece. We're going to put it right next to it. It's called Colossians. And when we're done with Colossians, we'll jump into, I don't know, 1 John. And when we're done with 1 John, we'll jump into, I don't know, Jonah. We're going to give you big chunks that you can understand the Bible in its original context as we're going through the whole book. Now when the storms come, what happens? Your house stands strong. On what God's word. Why does that matter? Because of verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Are we seeing that already? Oh, yeah. You know who he's talking about? You think he's talking about the world? You think he's talking about the, the non-Christian world that rejects God? That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about churches. They're there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will, will, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So look at what this, they won't endure sound teaching. 
It doesn't say they won't even listen to it. They won't endure it. You know why they won't endure it? Because sound teaching is hard to preach. It's hard to preach. We preach through 1 Corinthians. And I've told you guys this before. As we preach through 1 Corinthians, every time we preach a new chapter, that chapter came to life in our church. To the point where I was like, I don't want to preach this book anymore. Because the next text is I'm suffering. And I'm pretty sure that every time I preach something, it becomes a manifestation or a reality in our church. And, and it's a blessing because God teaches us in his word. And then it becomes an applicable reality for us to live out. And that is good for us because that helps us grow. So every time I preach through a text, I'm going, I don't know if I want to preach this because it's a hard text. It's a difficult text to preach, and it's even more difficult if this becomes a reality, if this text comes to life for our church. If I have to preach on suffering, then that probably means we're going to face a little bit of suffering. Are we ready for that? Well, you know what? You never will be if we don't preach the word. So yeah, difficult texts, they're not fun. They're hard. But I love it. Because you have to endure sound teaching. And sound teaching means teaching everything. And teaching everything means includes all the difficult texts and all the tough sermons and all the challenging Bible verses that are hard to explain and hard to live. And people who don't have God's word as their authority in their life, people who don't believe, people who don't want to hear this, churches that are weak and not preaching God's word won't endure, won't endure sound teaching because when the hard texts are preached and people have to live them, they're going to go, I'm out. I don't want it. I don't want that. That's hard. I really just kind of want to come to church. People will never admit this out loud. But this is who they are. I kind of just want to come to church, sing a few songs, listen to a very uplifting 25-minute message, and then go home. And, and I feel like a good person. I went to church. I'm a Christian. Well, how are you serving your church? Oh, you know, I don't. <laughs> or, you know, I just I do this one thing every month. Or something, you know, like there's no investment. There's no investment in the word. There's no investment in the church community. There's no investment in the ministries. There's no investment in God and the text itself. Because the preachers aren't giving sound preaching. Because the people are unwilling to endure it. And that is why there are preachers in this world who are walking around telling flimsy stories with easy truths. And never challenge people. People don't want to hear about their sin. They don't want to be held accountable by God's word. They don't want to hear 1 Thessalonians that says, It is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear, it is sin to get drunk. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear those things because then they have to live them. And guess what? That's, that's enduring sound teaching. Or we get to difficult texts that tell you about marriage and divorce and remarriage. We preached through marriage and divorce and remarriage in 1 Corinthians. And there were a couple of people that I had to have conversations with afterwards who said, I can't be here at this church anymore. They, they're good people. They're godly people. It was a good conversation. We are on great terms. I'm on great terms with people like that. But it was hard. Those are hard texts. I, I didn't want to make them feel that way. But I have to say what it says. You have to be ready to endure sound teaching. Because it will be hard. Because sound teaching is going to say things to you like, I know you're suffering this disease that you did not ask for and you did not earn. But I can't promise you that God's going to heal you. This might, this, this might be God's desire for your suffering. And that suffering is meant to produce joy in you and dependence on him. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. That's hard. Enduring that is hard. It's much easier to go to a nice church, church that, that, where the pastor walks around and says, you got to have faith and you'll be healed. you just got to have a little bit more faith and you'll be healed. God promises you that you'll be healed. God promises you that you should be rich. Who doesn't want to hear that? God promises me that if I'm a believer, I get to be rich. God promises me that if I have a little bit more faith, I'll have tons of money. And if I have a little bit more faith, I'll be healed of my diseases. And then what does that produce in you? Guilt. You know why? Because when you don't get money and you don't have enough faith to get healed, what happens? 
you feel terrible. And you're like, I clearly am, don't have enough faith. It's my fault. I'm not a good enough Christian. Is that biblical? Is that the message that God delivers us in the Bible? No. So we're going to preach the word of God. And we're going to preach the sound doctrines in the word of God. And they're going to be hard to live out. And if you want to be a healthy church like I do, it's going to be hard for me to preach those texts. It's going to be hard for you to hear them. It's going to be even harder for all of us together to live them. That is what a healthy church does. Stares down the barrel of hard texts and says, I don't care what the consequences are. I'll be faithful to my God. I'll be faithful to his word. We will preach it. We will hear it. We will receive it. And we will live it. But the world is not going that way. And that's the warning. They have itching ears. What do they want? They want to accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. What are their passions? Sin. That's their passion. You can name them all. Money, health, stuff, no accountability to sin. Just this kind of nominal Christianity where I just like kind of a dude who shows up at church sometimes, think I'm a good guy. There's no growth, there's no development, there's no challenges, there's no exhortation or, or encouragements, and people miss out. People don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to hear that they need salvation. They want to be told they're good, and they want an uplifting message. They want stories, and they want ease. They want quick sermons. They want to be uplifted, and that's it. Now, are some of those things good? Absolutely. And if you come here and all you hear are messages where you're just getting like punched in the face by God's word, that's not good either. You need to be lifted up and encouraged and strengthened and told the ways in which you are great and you are good in Christ. But there are sermons and preachers and churches that are not challenging or, or commanding or adhering to doctrine. It is my responsibility to preach those texts. It's your responsibility to hold me accountable to that. And if I don't, guess what happens? Hebrews 10.31. We talked about this last week. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So I have to preach the hard text. I have to preach the controversial text. I, I have to, and, and we have to live out and endure the reality of those difficult texts in your life. And if that controversial text offends other people, then fine, let it offend them. Because if I don't offend them with speaking the truth and preaching God's word, then who do I offend? God. And I'd much rather stand before God and say, God, I was willing to offend them to preach your truth. Because if I'm going to offend God, this is what I face. If I'm going to be soft, I'm going to deliver soft, easy preaching sermon messages that are easy to swallow, that never challenge you, that never encourage growth, and I just deliver the easiest, softest stories and sermons ever. It's just snowflakes and candy and clouds and puppies and all that other stuff. Then you're never going to grow. And I'm going to have to stand before God and say, God, I just didn't want to offend them. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. He goes, but I gave you an incredibly clear command. I told you, I charge you, Mark. I charge you, Christian, in the presence of God. So it's a command and in the presence of God and in, of, of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And I put it on something, his appearance and his kingdom, that you are to preach the word. But God, I didn't want to offend. Was it not clear how important this command was, Mark? And I have to say, I, I didn't want to offend people. And he goes, well, now you've offended me because I was very clear. And what do we face when we face when we offend God? Nahum tells us what God is like to his enemies and adversaries, those who don't do what he says. Those who are not his. He says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Who can stand before his indignation? That word means anger. Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. With an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of his adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? Meaning, good luck 
if you've got a plot against the Lord. Good luck if you want to preach sermons that God tells you not to preach. Good luck if you're going to disobey this command and not preach the word being ready in season and out of season to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Good luck. Is that your plan? Because if that's your plan, he says, he will make a complete end of you. Trouble will not rise up a second time. So it kind of, that, that last statement, trouble will not rise up a second time. Reminds me of like in the movies in those bar fight scenes where the guy's like, you better knock me out the first time because once you hit me, I'm hitting back and you're not getting up. That kind of idea? That's what God's saying here. He goes, if you're going to plot against me and you're not going to obey my word, when I strike, there's no getting up. That trouble's not coming back. I will put an end to it. So I look at that and I go, now I'm God's child in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to face God's wrath. Christ took his wrath for me. But do I want to face we're all going to stand before God one day and give an account for every word we speak. That is Jesus. Those are Jesus' words. All of us will be. We have to give an account for every word we speak. And then James says, not all of you, in James 3.1, not all of you should be teachers. Because teachers will be judged with what? Greater strictness. Why? Because we have some authority that no one else has? No. Because we are speaking for God. And if you're going to speak for God, that statement in James is a warning. None of you, not everyone should run around saying, oh, I can teach, 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 teach the Bible. Because if you're going to teach the Bible, you better preach it right. Because there's greater judgment, and the judgment of a greater strictness for those who teach the word of God. Because that is how important the Bible is in the life of the church. The most important document that exists in this country, for our country, for the United States, is what? Constitution. The Constitution is our final authority in America as American citizens. The Bible is our Constitution as Christians. And the Bible trumps the American Constitution or any government's documents by a billion miles. There's nothing more significant to your life than this book. So there is this command that is clear. Preach the word. The Greek for preach the word there is my favorite Greek sentence. I've been saying it for like 20 years. Keruxan tan lagan. Preach the word. Keruxan tan lagan. I love that statement. It's so simple. That's the command. That's all I got to do. Such a simple truth, such a difficult task. And if we all start living out that task, it becomes a difficult reality for us to endure. But that's what healthy churches do. They endure sound teaching. They endure sound preaching. Let's pray. Father, we trust you and your word. And I pray that we would do what Paul says to the Ephesian elders. We do not shrink from declaring to your church, the whole counsel of God. Help us do that well. I know this seems like a sermon that's really just for preachers, but there is this reality, God, that we are all to elevate the significance of your word and to live by it and to endure the sound teaching because that is what a healthy church is. So I pray that you would make us like Christ, give us a passion and desire for your word, and that you would feed us, Lord. Feed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.